0: If you're trying to make $5,000, every single month working as a content creator and you are trying to land three brand campaigns, then each of those brand campaigns needs to be between 1500 to $2,000. So you need to be pitching work that would get you that amount of money from that pitch. And so I think it is getting that specific and that precise in your process so you can in fact actually get those types of results.
1: Hi there, it's Soa and welcome to a winter refresh of episode 37 of the She's Off Script podcast. This is a show where we hear and learn from women who've created unique blueprints for success. My hope is that you'll hear their stories and translate their gems into a unique path for yourself. In today's episode, we're revisiting one of your favorite episodes with influencer Maddie James. Maddie's a full-time influencer who has booked over 500 brand campaigns over the course of her career. She's also one of the few Black influencers who also educates other influencers on how they can grow their platforms since we last had Maddie on the show, she shared that she and her husband are expecting their third child. They've moved into a beautiful new home and she is continuing to kill it in the influencer game. Since Maddie's episode first aired, many of you have reached out to share how she has inspired you to try again. If you're new to this podcast and haven't heard this episode before, grab a pen and notebook because it is packed full of gems. With that, let's go off script with this refresh of Maddie James episode. Maddie James, welcome to She's Off Script. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Well, Maddie, for our listeners who haven't heard about you before, could you share who you are and what you do?
0: My name is Maddie James. I am a wife and mother based in Atlanta, Georgia. I really have created a career being a content creator and what people deem an influencer nowadays. But essentially I create content for my blog social media, such as Instagram or YouTube, working with brands. Everybody from Google to JCPenney to, you know, I've I've been very, very blessed, but I, I work with brands on a regular basis and create content for
1: them. First off, it's very important to understand the journey our guests have been on. So could you share the path you took to becoming a full-time content creator and influencer?
0: Sure. It started out very, very... I, I, wanted, I don't want to say accidentally, but definitely unintentionally. Mm-hmm. I think that I learned about blogging back in like 2005. I was living in New York City at the time. And I was really convinced at that time that I wanted to be an artist. Like I was like, oh, I want to be a singer. I, you know, I danced all my life. I was just really convinced that I was supposed to be in the music industry. Mm-hmm. However, I had gone to college for journalism. I did not finish. I had one more year left to get my degree. But I left, I was just really, really one of those like overly ambitious West African, you know, first gen- American generation children where I was like, no, 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 I'm gonna do this. And I, you know, I left and was just really trying to prove to my parents that I could do this. The dream was that big enough. And essentially, you know, I, I think God has a funny way of keeping you aligned with your purpose, even when you try to derail yourself. Mm-hmm. And I started reading blogs very, very consistently and it was on like a daily basis. Back then it was really how I got my entertainment news. And I would read them, you know, day to day, you know, during my freelancing gigs. And when I left New York, I came to Atlanta where I'm based now and was like, you know what, let me try this whole celebrity blogging thing. Did not really work out. Celebrity entertainment blogging is a different kind of beast. Mm -hmm. You know, you get press releases at any time of the day, any time of the night. You've just got to be ready to break news. And even though I enjoyed consuming it, creating it, there wasn't the sense of urgency that you need to have if you want to actually do this at a full time level. So I liked blogging. I just didn't like that type of blogging. I liked writing. I liked creating and sharing with other people. And so essentially, I just started talking about my life, My my style, the the products I liked. And yeah, it kind of very, very slowly very, very organically grew. And this really was... I had probably stopped trying to blog for maybe like a year and a half. So from 2006 to 2008, I worked retail, just was really out here tr- figuring it out like anybody in their early 20s. And in 2008, I was fortunate to you know, meet my fiance, who's now my husband. And he really encouraged it. He was like, well, if you like it and you want to try it, you should try it again. Maybe just don't do it like that. So I started talking about myself, my day-to-day kind of experiences. And in 2009, I won Miss Liberia USA. So I had a little bit more eyes on me. And I wanted to make sure that I maximized that opportunity. Mm -hmm. So I went ahead and bought my first domain and started getting a little bit more consistent. Just once a week, again, nothing overly extravagant. I was using my point-and-shoot camera that I got for Christmas from my fiance. (laughs) And it was real, like, I mean, I think it was like a a hundred bucks, and I would put the self-timer on, and I would run in front of the camera, and whatever you got was the photo for that post. Mm -hmm. And what I really started doing was really diving deep and learning more about this whole content creation thing. I would dive into anything, whether it was blog posts, YouTube videos, Mm podcasts. Podcasts weren't as popular back then, but I mean, if there was anything offering any kind of insight on how to become better at this, I definitely was one of those people who jumped at it. I would attend conferences. I just really wanted to learn more. And even though I wasn't sure what blogging would turn into, I did... I did really understand that it had a possibility of becoming something really big. And so I stayed the course. Uh, Once I won Miss Liberia, I got married six weeks later and I wasn't working probably for that very first year of my marriage Mm -hmm. because I was really trying to make the blogging thing work. It just still wasn't big enough then, again, especially in a market like Atlanta, especially for a creator that looked like me. And so I finally ended up getting a corporate gig and I was there for approximately four years Mm-hmm. And just stayed the course. You know, I was very, very transparent about me blogging with my boss, who was very understanding. He would let me off for New York Fashion Week and different wow. things like that. That was very fortunate. I know not everybody's situation is like that. So I just encourage everybody to just make it work. But if you do have a boss who's supportive and will encourage that, Definitely maximize that opportunity. And funny enough, when I got the Not That Corporate gig, uh, the blog ended up growing and becoming pretty successful. Mm. And I think, funny enough, it was just teaching me how to balance and manage my time, manage my tasks as a content creator because I had to make it work around my corporate gig, mm-hmm. which was bringing in the bulk of the money in the beginning. And Finally, in 2014, I had my first daughter, and I was like, you know what? I don't, I don't want to do this anymore. Like, I don't want to work a corporate gig. Like, I really want to go ahead and get committed and do this whole blogger thing on a full time level. Mm -hmm. And I was finally at the point where I was making as much money blogging as I did from my corporate gig. Wow! And so I, I prayed about it, and I was like, okay, Lord, I just want to, I just want to, you know, just create a situation, give me the courage to quit, so I can do this. And I think just like I for so long I had learned from you know my parents society just like you just don't leave a good job right. to go you know chance it especially now that I was a parent I was somebody's wife mm-hmm. so it was very daunting but uh, of course uh, as luck would have it I ended up being let go that june and uh, you know was officially now full-time with a nine- month old and had to had to figure it out real quick and just started getting really much more intentional streamlining things in started to build a small team. I still have a small team, mm-hmm. even though I've been doing this four years full time and nine years overall, but it really did teach me how to take myself seriously. It, it really kind of put me in a rock and a hard place, mm-hmm. which definitely will create a sense of urgency.
1: So it sounds and, like that was a blessing in disguise then, but oh, absolutely. as a fellow West African, I have to ask, was there any shade from your family when you decided to go down this path? full-time, especially given that now both your sister and you, so your sister's Maya Elias, who's also in the online business space, especially since you're both in that online space, did you have any tension with your family when you chose that path?
0: I think my sister ended up having a little bit more tension with them than I did. I definitely had, I definitely had that pushback. Like, my dad didn't take it seriously or acknowledge it until it really, like, until like I got my like first national magazine feature and stuff like that. I think for him, that's when he started taking it seriously. But I think because I was like, and now in my own household, I like financially, I was no longer under them. I think there was concern, mm-hmm. but I think that by the time I ended up going full-time, I had stuck with it now. I, this, When I got let go, I, I had been blogging for five years. So I think I was in a space now where everybody was like, she takes this seriously. Right. So it's like at this point, you know, mm-hmm. being supportive. And I'm really blessed because I have a great relationship with my parents. But yeah, there was definitely some pushback. Like they were like, so we sent you to school for you to start a blog. You know, it was very...
1: Like, what is this nonsense <laughs> she's doing with all the education yeah, you've given her, it, right? It, definitely my
0: dad. You know, my mom is, you know, she's a girl's girl so she was you know trying to support both of us you know but yeah i think it wasn't until like i would call them like oh my gosh i got this really great opportunity and i'm getting paid really well for it and i don't think it was until that started happening consistently until they were like oh okay like this is a real thing this mm-hmm. is your real business but yeah there was definitely some pushback
1: and really that's why it's so important for me to share stories like yours so that when people in our generation start to have kids and their kids want to do something different, it's commonplace for them. They don't really get the pushback that you receive from your parents. And I think it's going to take some time to really get it to that level. But, you know, we're, we're starting to do the work now. For sure. Sometimes entrepreneurs taking the leap, they may get a little bit less credit when they come Mm. from two income households. So if you were starting out today as an influencer from a one income household, meaning just your income is it, what are the first five things you would do to position yourself to be able to take the full-time leap within say the course of a year?
0: Well, I think that education is huge. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that that is what a lot of people are, I think they don't even really fully grasp that that is so, so imperative. Again, because you cannot go to a four-year college and learn how to do what it is. You know, a lot of these online business owners and content creators are doing. Mm-hmm. So I think, you know, whether it's, you know, going to conferences or if, you, if you're not able to be as, as mobile and travel that much, then really getting into online courses And again, really doing your research with that. I think online courses can sometimes get a bad rep. But I think it's just like anything, you know, just like there's sleazy car, sell- car salesmen mm-hmm. out there doesn't mean that <laughs> you don't buy cars anymore. Mm-hmm. I think you just look for the, the honest ones. You do your, you know, background checks. You really check, like if the person you're buying this course from has the, you know, receipts as the kids would say, mm-hmm. or even just the experience, you know, have they told you multiple things for free that have helped you and gotten you results? That's typically a, a huge indicator or whether or not you should buy their online course. So I think the first thing would be education, going to conferences, that, because that's going to be something that's ongoing when you're an entrepreneur, Mm -hmm. you know? And then I think secondly is a full-on business plan. What's the goal here? Like, what are you trying to do? Mm. And I think a lot of times we get attached to the fact that we want to make money, but that is going to run out eventually, right? Like, the motivation solely being money will get really old when it's inconvenient, when you're super tired, when you're not clear on where you're going. You know, a lot of times we're so much more focused on speed than direction. But if you have a business plan and you start to get clear on what you're building this business for, what is your mission statement? is the overall vision, you start to really create a roadmap for yourself that will take you to places that will matter to you mm-hmm. even on those really hard days. I think thirdly is finding a mentor, some accountability partners, just people that are around you, whether even it's an online community, some Facebook groups that just add some support. We cannot do this thing by ourselves. It's just, so <laughs> true. I, I, cannot, I cannot say that enough it really is important to get around people. Even if it's one other person, that one person can be your lifeline to really inspire you, really motivate you, hold you accountable when you need to be held accountable. And that's going to be so, so very vital to your growth and your process as an entrepreneur. I think the fourth thing I think would be uh, just overall goals, right? Because a plan is one thing, goals are another. So what are the goals, right? So it's like, okay, if I'm trying to go full-time within a year, what are the, like, what does that look like backwards when I reverse engineer it, right? So if if I'm trying to go full-time, what does that mean? Does that mean $40,000 a year from the business? Mm-hmm. Does that mean 100,000? And how do I make that? What does that mean monthly? Well, how am I going to make that on a weekly basis? Like breaking it all down. So having those goals and having targets, because even if you miss, you can go back can really get nerdy with it and get into the data and say, okay, I posted this many times and only made this much. Maybe I need to increase how much I'm posting or maybe I need to increase how many videos I'm doing, how many mm-hmm. brand partnerships I'm doing. And then I think last but not least, I would probably, you know, I just would, I really just would go, I would really just dive into every single thing that, I would really, really study the industry. Mm. And that's different than getting educated, right? I think like a lot of times we're like, oh, I want to do this. And we're not familiar with the other people in the industry who are doing it. Research. I I really think that would be huge Mm -hmm. just because I think... I am a student of this whole content creator influencer game. You know what I mean? I've read the book Influencer. I've attended pretty much every single content creator uh, conference or summit there is for uh, creators of color. I really do understand what is out there. I understand the trends. And I think that... If you're really to a point where you're obsessed with it and you really do understand and get excited about it, mm-hmm. I think that's going to serve you a lot more than even traditional education will. Right. Just because, again, you're so that that to me, the, the enthusiasm is a reflection of your commitment versus your education. And commitment will always take you further.
1: Would you advocate for people? Now starting their careers to skip out on a college education entirely in favor of the type of education you mentioned.
0: I think it depends on what you're trying to do. I think if you're trying to be creative, I mean, i I definitely know that by the time my kids graduate high school, if they want to do anything creative, anything even in media, college is going to seem like a waste of time, at least the traditional route, just because like what you learn in four years is going to be outdated by the time you, you know, get in your cap and gown. Mm -hmm. So that doesn't really serve anymore. And I mean, you know, you even have like Tim Cook, you know, CEO of Apple saying like, actual really good coders don't need to go to college. They just need to get the experience. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, if you're even talking about something like coding, if you don't need the college, like we need more experience. And I think what is also happening is if, if we're being candid, I think what's happening is that we're sending a bunch of kids whose parents did everything for them going to college for four years, having you know people tell them what they should do to get out to be like, oh, one, no one is going to do anything for me. And then two, everything I just learned is actually outdated, is actually what I should have been doing when I even entered here. Mm -hmm. So to me, the experience is going to serve you more. I think really things like the medical field and getting into law, I think those are going to be more of your types of occupations that need the traditional four-year college experience. I will say this, I don't think college will be necessary or needed as much as it once was in the past. But I do think the one thing that the college and university experience gives you is those relationships, Mm -hmm. you know, getting in organizations and stuff like that. So do I think it's no longer going to be valuable? Not necessarily, but it definitely won't be as important as it once was.
1: That's a good perspective to have. Unless colleges and universities adapt to the new paths that are coming up, they will probably find themselves becoming more and more irrelevant when it comes to some of these more creative careers people are choosing to go into.
0: It's moving too fast for them. Yeah. It's moving. It's just moving too fast for them. Like the way they've already set up the model, mm-hmm. somebody is basically going to have to interrupt the model. And I think that that interruption is online courses. Yeah. So you don't really have to do that. Like You, could, you can go take 12 online courses, even at... Even if you found 12 $1,000 online courses and stuff like that, that taught you stuff in the next six months, mm-hmm. that's going to serve you way more than paying $48,000 for one
1: year at right. a four-year college. Right. It's
0: just, yeah.
1: It's. I think that's an industry that's ripe for disruption. Maybe we'll be looking at the Maddie James School for <laughs> Content Creators soon. <laughs> So more on the content creation side and influencer side, you've said that it's important to be present on more than one platform. So which platforms would you pick if you were starting out today and why would those be key to start out with?
0: I think the three I would definitely be immediately present on would be my own blog or you know my own entity, whatever, whether it's a site or a blog. Definitely Instagram and definitely YouTube. You know, in twenty twenty two, according to Cisco over 85% of the content on the internet would be video. So at this point, if you're not into video content, then I'm not really sure if creating content is really going to be for you unless like you do the podcast thing and blow it out the water. Mm-hmm. But even so, it just really won't it really won't convert as high as video. Everything is pretty much paling in comparison. Um, it really is becoming the new television. And I think if you don't understand that, then do a little bit more studying or you know, go to, go to that corporate job, that's fine too. So for me, I think those three, absolutely. I think the big mistake a lot of people are, are making is putting all their eggs in the Instagram basket.
1: Yep, and we've seen recently how the platform has been down. And we've yeah. seen recently how large, large entities have gotten their accounts taken down after having like 2 million followers. So mm-hmm. it's not yours. And so to build a foundation on someone else's plot of land <laughs> is is right. risky. It, re- it really right. is.
0: Yeah. It's just like you have no control over that.
1: No, you don't. But in the beginning as a solo content creator, how do you find the bandwidth just to remain consistent on all of these channels? Or is it Okay, to be inconsistent on some of these channels?
0: Well, I think again, being clear on what your business plan is, what your end goals are, what your annual goals are. You know, if you're trying to be more present on YouTube, you know, which means maybe posting one to two times on YouTube, creating video content takes a lot more bandwidth than posting on Instagram or Mm -hmm. anything like that. So that might mean that the energy on Instagram isn't as apparent. As it, it might have been for you a few years back, as it is this year, just because you're putting your efforts into YouTube, and you know when it starts to make sense, you know from a fiscal standpoint, maybe that is when you're hiring your first team member. You know, maybe that is when you're, you know, working consistently with a a small team of freelancers, and I, I, I think it's just really about what is. Again, what is your goal? I can't I don't like to be like, okay, you need to absolutely be posting on YouTube and stuff like that. I think right now you can absolutely still have a really really successful blog, but again, what is the goal of that blog? Is it solely fashion content? Is it solely podcasts? Is it solely beauty videos? So I think once you're getting clear on what it is you're trying to accomplish, then going ahead and creating your own kind of custom recipe of content creation is what you want to do.
1: Speaking about the building of a team for your brand, you currently don't have an agent or a publicist. So, wow, you're doing it all on your own. But you do have a team that's supporting you. So who were your first hires and why did you decide to go with them first?
0: Well, my first hire was somebody for social media solely. Like, I was like, <laughs> I only had two hundred fifty extra dollars a month, mm-hmm. so I was just like, you know, who can I, you know, find? And I had a good friend who was doing that for a pretty good company, a pretty big company at the time. And I was like, hey, would you be open to helping out? You know, you already currently work from home, you know. Mm-hmm. And she was really open to it, you know, especially for the extra money. And just came up with a really, really clear and intentional kind of social media marketing plan for my. Content. You know, I'd started, especially when I went full time, uh, I was posting every single day. I was doing a podcast every single day and I was doing live video every single day. Wow. So we were just like, how do we just like keep on pushing that out there so people would watch me and, and follow me and, and sign up for my email list every single day? And I, I think. You know, again, you don't have to go that hard, you know, but I think it's like, it's about that intentionality. What are the goals? Mm -hmm. You know, maybe you only need to go live once a week, but again, it's that intentionality, it working towards a bigger goal versus just like, oh, today I feel like going on IG Live. So for me, that was really important just because. I think one big mistake content creators make early on is that they create the content and then they don't promote it. And then they wonder why they don't have the numbers. And it's like, there's so much going on that you have to constantly remind people, even the people who love you online, to go check out and consume your content.
1: That is so key because you put so much energy into the creation of it that by the time it's time to promote it, you probably start running out of gas. And that really might be where that support system comes in and can really help to move the needle forward for you. Oh, for sure. You've said also that your typical workday ends at 4 p.m. So what Mm -hmm. does that typical day in your life look like? And I guess typical is in air quotes because it it probably varies, but how do you organize it so you're most productive and can knock off by 4 p.m.?
0: Well, we really try our best to make the schedule ahead of time, usually within like, a, I like to be about three to four weeks ahead of time, schedule wise, you know? And what I like to do is kind of have a really in depth touch base with my entire team once a week. Mm-hmm. And then what I do is kind of have touch points with individual team members, usually for like anywhere between five to 10 minutes, depending on the severity of the project, every single day, just to kind of make sure everybody's prepared with what I need done from them. And anytime. I haven't done that. Anytime I've been really lax on that, it ends up biting me in the butt because it's. then I end up scrambling to delegate and then I realize they're not going to have enough time and I have to do it myself. Mm -hmm. So those touch bases are really, really key and really important. And then What I like to do is schedule thinking time early in the morning for me, just to kind of think about everything that's in my head and organize that into a schedule, into an appointment, a conference call, a shoot, whatever is Mm -hmm. necessary. So usually the first... I would say the first few hours of my workday between 8 to 10 is communications, checking emails, and just making sure that I'm setting people up for success.
1: So before Um, that, can I ask, are you one of those that wakes up at 4 a.m. so that you can get that quiet thinking time, especially with two toddlers?
0: Yeah, it's it's really tough with the two young ones. I mean, I'm usually pr- I'm usually up between that five to six hour, mm-hmm. and then I because I just like to be by myself. Like even if I'm not doing anything work related, being up ahead of my family is always much more beneficial. Mm-hmm. Um, just so I can have time to think to myself. Some days it doesn't work out. Some days I'm up at six with a one-year-old and just making it work. Mm-hmm. But today I was really fortunate and I was able to get up and really kind of, you know, just cause my kids are home for, you know, summer vacay right now. And so making sure that I'm able to get up and, and, Process what needs to be done helps the entire family and definitely helps my entire business. If I don't have an early shoot, I'll squeeze in like a workout. Mm -hmm. But usually, like, I try to kind of, if I can organize my day even before anybody wakes up, that's always great. And usually, when I end my day, I kind of go ahead and write out like those top three priorities of the next day. Mm -hmm. So I kind of wake up with a clear expectation. Anytime I don't set expectations for myself, I'm more than likely going to sleep in late. I wake up a little bit more frazzled, you know? So it's not like I'm like perfectly painting out what the day looks like, but just having those like two to three priorities for the next day, like, Pretty much understood before I close my eyes definitely helps me. So I usually wake up, I do the prayer thing, I I, I uh, journal, I'll read whatever book I'm reading at that time, and then I'll go ahead and start to get everybody ready. Like you know, kind of like get breakfast going before the girls get up. That usually is another little uh, you know hack for setting yourself up for success. Mm-hmm. Um, getting them to school by eight a.m., 30 the latest, and then kind of getting ready for the workday.
1: Hmm. So are you someone who's into the digital calendar blocking, or are you someone who likes to write out your to- do list manually? How do you organize?
0: I like both uh, so my so the 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 friend that was once my social media manager is now like my business admin, so she takes care of like my calendar, my travel like if if we're having a call whatsoever, like she is the one who scheduled it. And so what she has set up is that a Google calendar will send me a summary of my day at 5 a.m. every day. So I usually just will open up that email in the morning and kind of look like, okay, this is what's going on. I do also have like to have it written out. And I think it's just that delicate balance, right? Because it's like you, you have these very, very clear personal things that need to get done, whether it's a dentist appointment, the kids have a program at school, Or you have these very, very clear things that you want to do professionally, whether it's a launch, it's an interview, it's a this, it's a that. Mm -hmm. So it is tough to kind of navigate those two, but I try my best to kind of make sure she's very aware like, hey from 10 to 12, I absolutely won't be available because I'll be at my kid's school. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just that delicate balance, but I like both the digital and the analog. I love just writing things out. Uh, There's something about writing that I will always love. Uh, That's just my personality and it's been really, really helpful to do that.
1: So I just learned something new about getting a summary sent to you from your Google calendar.
0: Oh yeah, no, it's been it's been the game changer for the last year.
1: Okay, I'm going to I'm definitely going to try that. And I would say for my household we have to sync calendars because my husband travels a lot. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I travel. And then with the childcare, so we have a calendar sync. And if he's going to be doing something, if he's trying to book something, he needs to check the calendar. Otherwise, I'm just like, sorry, I have an event. I have (laughs) have a meeting, whatever the case is. So it is a delicate balance in order just to make sure everyone can be successful. For sure. So back to the question about giving yourself a year time frame to make the full-time leap. At what point would it be okay to start pitching brands?
0: I think once you have something valuable to offer and you're clear on what that value is, I think a lot of people aren't clear on their value. Like, and I'm talking about someone who has like a thousand followers and even some people who have 50,000 followers if you're not clear on the value then you don't you don't have anything to pitch at this point pitching is about positioning it's not about quantity of following mm-hmm. you know there's so many people out there who have there's so many small micro influencers who know how to pitch because they're very clear on what their value is they know what makes them useful to a brand and they lead with that and until you really understand um, not only value because I think a lot of of people are like this is what I want I know I want to make this much this much and this much and it's like okay well aside from money what other value are you looking for as a content creator and an entrepreneur and then secondly And and really, this is more primarily, I think this is what should be led with. And I think this is where a lot of people get in trouble. What is the value you are offering to this specific brand in this specific instance, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's not, oh, it's most of the time not following, right? I think people are looking at things at engagement and conversion before they're even looking at your following, right? Because if you have 50,000 followers and you're converting at 0.02%, then it really doesn't matter, you know? I would rather take my chances on somebody who has 5000 followers and consistently converts at 3 to 5% every mm-hmm. time.
1: So Maddie, what is that 30 second value statement you lead with?
0: I'm you know what?
1: <laughs> I think
0: it's really really personalized for each situation and I think that's I think that's one thing that I've recently come to terms with. Mm-hmm. I'm like I don't have like this 30 second pitch That's just generalized, Mm -hmm. you know, if I'm in an elevator with a Mary Kay executive, it's going to be a little bit different than the Graco executive, right? Because the Graco executive doesn't really care that my, uh, you know, my, like my, my audience wears foundation every day. Mm -hmm. They care about the, the, the story that is aligned with being a mother and the products that I use, Mm -hmm. you know, but essentially the thing that makes me really valuable to brands is that I'm a black millennial mother who really knows how to interact and engage with, an audience that's similar right so if my if I have somebody in my audience who's not a mom she's more than likely interested in being a mom if she follows me
1: Mm -hmm. okay see that's great that you are clear and you're able to pivot as the situation calls for it and if you're able to lead with that value people are less likely to question whatever it is you're asking for
0: For sure. Absolutely. You know, if you're not clear and completely aware Mm -hmm. of one, not only what makes you valuable, but even just studying like your, your, these brands that you want to work with. I mean, we do thorough research before we pitch a brand. Even if a brand pitches us, we're like, well, who have they worked with lately? What is their mission? What are they, you know, what, what do they push? Do they lobby behind the scenes and have any political associations that we are okay with being aligned with? Mm -hmm. Those are all really important things. And so I, I think that doing that research is really, really important. And it again, allows you to very much so handcraft and mold a, a pitch for them that actually makes sense.
1: Okay. So then now once you're comfortable pitching brands, how do you build out a solid enough pipeline so your income remains consistent? I think creatives are notoriously aware that one month you could be raking in the cash and then the next month, nothing. So how do mm-hmm. you moderate that?
0: Well, I think just really understanding, like, okay, what again? What is what is what is my overall annual goal? So, what's the income goal, right? Mm-hmm. So, if you're making sixty five thousand dollars a year as an in, as a content creator, then like even if you pull in $20,000 that month, that doesn't mean have a field day. That means that you still have to pace yourself like you're making $65,000 a year, you know what I mean? Or $35,000, whatever the case may be. So I think also just having that clear kind of like mindset with finances. um, I will say that the I would say in hindsight, after getting your first team member who can help you with the workload, I mean, I would immediately get some kind of legal person and money person, just because having a money person is going to be very helpful because they're going to be the person to be like, hey, you had a great month, but don't get a, you know, don't get ahead of yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think that is always really helpful. And I think that having these clear kind of processes and systems internally is key, right? So again, if you're converting, and we're not even talking about with your audience, internally, when you pitch brands, if you're converting at 5%. Or if you know for every three for every three brands you pitch, you usually land one and you want to land three, then you should be pitching nine to ten brands every single month Mm -hmm. and really understanding what that looks like. And then having like a a, a solid, very clear dollar amount that you're going to be, you know, pitching for these projects. So again, if you're trying to make five thousand dollars every single month working as a content creator mm-hmm. and you are trying to land three of those brand, three, three brand campaigns, then each of those brand campaigns needs to be between 1500 to $2,000. So you need to be pitching work that would get you that amount of money from that pitch. And so I think it is getting that specific and that precise in your process so you can in fact actually get those types of results.
1: That makes perfect sense reverse engineering where from where you want to be to make sure that you are keeping up every single month
0: okay it's so key because we do the mistake, we make the mistake. And I was the queen of this. I was just like, oh, I'm not going to make it up as I go along. Like I'll just pitch three brands and just like throw out a number and hope for the best. And it's like, no, what is the bare minimum that you are going to make this month? Again, if it's $5,000 and you want to work with three brands this month, then each of these brand campaigns have to be between $1,500 1500 to $2,000 for you to hit your mark. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And we've got to think about everything. And it's not even just the $5,000 again to bank $5,000. Do you have payroll? Do you pay for software that helps you schedule things? You know what I mean? So after your expenses are out, if you're trying to you know make $3,500, is this actually making sense for you? So
1: actually run your influence like a business. Actually understand what your costs are, how much profit you want to make it's not just about beautiful pictures and videos at the end of the day it's it's a business if you want to make it a full-time career that
0: if that's the only way you'll you'll be a full-time influencer is if influence is your business if you don't if you if you treat it like a hobby you'll get hobby results
1: i like that that's going to be a marquee <laughs> quote <laughs> and so you've also mentioned on going on brand trips and being the only black woman what Should the up and coming waves of black influencers be doing to ensure that first and foremost, they're producing excellent work, but then also Mm -hmm. stepping up to take a seat at the table with these high caliber brands and their deals?
0: I think the conversation I always like to have is about inclusion and diversity with these brands. I, you know, it's kind of like, you know, I I always like to go back and say, Hey, you know, one, what is your stance on that? Uh, Why is it you feel like, why do you think I'm the only one that looks like me on this brand campaign? And, you know, like, what are your goals to work with people who look like me? You know, I think it's really important to ask those questions. They're not comfortable questions, but these are the kind of conversations conversations we need to be having. If in fact we are, you know, just preaching on this change that we want so bad, it does have to get uncomfortable, you know, and it might even have to be not, not combative, but it it does, it does have to be confrontational. It Mm -hmm. does have to be direct and kind of say like, why is this the way it is? Why is this not different? You know what I mean? Like if there's, if there's 12 influencers on this campaign, why am I the only one who is? you know, uh, the only minority, the only black person, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Especially like if you're in a city that has, you know, especially when it's in Atlanta, I'm always like, what, how, how is this possible? Uh, so I think it's always just like questions like that. And then just really also sharing those experiences with other influencers. You know what I mean? Like I was really fortunate, you know, to work with this brand and this is, this is how it happened. You know, I think for me, I'm very blessed because of the time I came up as a blogger, you know? So I, I am very blessed because I'm grandfathered in a lot of PR and agency lists, you know, because I've been blogging since 2010 and, and, You know, if you just started blogging in 2016, 2017, not to say that it can't happen, but again, it's just that due diligence, it's, you know, paying your dues, it's being consistent for you to become that visible, not just to an audience externally, but even internally with brands and agencies alike.
1: I like that you have gotten to the point where you have enough courage to stand up and speak up when you're in front of these brands, speak up in a way that will bring other women who are coming up into those rooms as well. And I think another influencer that does that very well is Jackie Ina. I think she's someone in the beauty space who's been very vocal and has actually moved the needle as a result of her pull in the industry. So I really commend you for that. Um, but I, I also wanna talk about the power of unity with your peers in this space. I think this was in Brooklyn. They had created some sort of an influencer photo shoot where they had hashtagged Black Girl Wow and um, Black Girl Bloggers and BK. And then you've also done something similar in Atlanta. So have you seen any value in building a community of influencers around you?
0: Absolutely, that's something I actually want to get better at. I think that's a huge opportunity I have. I think having two small kids, it's more so like I literally don't have the time to go out to as many events and and, and things as I would like. But I think that is so important, just because again, it's just having that community around you, like minded individuals who understand where you're coming from, where you understand them. I think even just the casual conversations, I, I think a lot of times. The the misconception with community can be like, okay, we're creating this community so we can all collaborate and get money together. And that's one of the perks of a community, but that's not the purpose of the community. Mm. The purpose of the community is to feel supported, to feel uplifted, to feel like there are people who are standing behind you when you do go out and you decide to be brave enough to ask a brand why diversity and inclusion has not been something that they've done before and why you're the first time it's actually happening for a brand like them that's so visible. And has black consumers. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's about the support, and I think it's about being uplifted, and and again, just having somebody to vent to, you know, over some wine or some brunch, and kind of say like, man, this was really hard because when I negotiated, I, I did not lead with a number I should have. You know, I mm-hmm. should have gone a little bit higher, and so those things are really important, and especially just because specifically our community, again, there we don't have quite as much access or quite as many resources, you know, I think aside for myself, when it comes to specifically the influencer space, there really isn't a lot of other influencers that look like me that offer uh, resources to, to tell you how to do the same. Mm-hmm. And so... I almost feel like a little bit of a responsibility to kind of like give you that little bit of access because I know I've been really fortunate for people that don't look like me to kind of give me access, to talk to me, to kind of show me the way. Um, have it's That's been really, really fortunate for me, you know? And my thing is, again, you can, you can tell somebody what to do, you know what I mean? But again, if I show you how to fish, you'll know how to eat forever. So I think instead of wagging my finger, right, because it's easy to do that and I try my best not to get jaded in the industry, but I I try my best to show you how to do something. That's why the whole online course space is important to me because it's easy to be like, oh girl, I just did this and um, I just emailed them. And it's like, but actually this is how it happened.
1: Right. And I think it's important to be transparent. If you are actually going to say, I'm an educator in this space, it's important to Mm -hmm. be transparent and actually show people concretely how you did it, especially if they're going to pay you for your value. Mm -hmm. So where should we start if we're interested in creating those connections, like what you describe for ourselves?
0: Well, you have to show up to go up. So I, if you're not at these conferences and summits, especially at this point, it's going to be really, really hard just because mm. there's now so many influencers. So the only way to really stand out is those in-person experiences. You know, if you go to something like Create and Cultivate, or if you go to something like Summit 21, where American Airlines is, you know, where Carol's daughter is, you know, Where L'Oreal is, then, you know, and they actually send people there to interact with creators so they can form relationships with them for potential partnerships, then you're definitely going to be ahead of the pack. Mm -hmm. I will say that's one of the things early on that I did, and I think it definitely ended up working out to my benefit. But yeah, it's not, it's funny, like even though it's the online space, it's those in person interactions that are going to be huge. And, you know, the one thing that we're trying to get a lot more uh, intentional with is scheduling that one trip to New York city where like the, you know, the brands who have sent me some PR packages and stuff like that, they interact with me in person. So it goes beyond you just sending me free product. It's now turned into a relationship where it's like, you know what, Maddie really has that personality where she could do a great video for this client. Let's reach out and see if she would be interested. Same thing with like my LA relationships. And you know, again, I can do that at this level of my, my career. But again, I think even starting local, if you have some PR agencies and you have some local brands or boutiques or whatever have you who have invited you out pop into their offices you know what I mean or you know schedule a really kind of like quick kind of meet up like hey just wanted to touch base is there any way I can support you or is there any way we can partner up what do you guys have going on for the rest of the year I think the top of the year is a great time to do that and this the like June, July is really good to do that right before back to school, just because that June, July time, you're going to get on people's radar right before holiday decisions. So for holiday stuff, and then the top of the year, you're going to get in there to where before they make big budget decisions of like who they want to work with, that's also a good time as well.
1: Oh my gosh, that's amazing insight. And I'm sure they would get even more if they paid you for a course. (laughs) (laughs) So Maddie, I think I've heard you say that um, you're interested in creating physical products and you're already on TV. What's next for the Maddie James brand? Well, I think just
0: that TV. That's really my overall one of my overall end goals. You know, I think that there's like two or three major ones, but I think one of them is television. I think the second one is physical product, you know, an an overall lifestyle product line. And then I think last but not least, creating that community where again, I, I it's 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 fascinating to me that no one else really does the whole influencer one it's it's not even common uh, across the board mm-hmm. but the fact that influencers don't teach other influencers how to do this at a full-time level at a level that is sustainable mm-hmm. and that is mind-boggling to me and really you know i've i've been hesitant because i'm kind of like gosh am i crazy but you know i think we're we're going to go ahead and and really get intentional and serious about committing to creating an influencer community for influencers that look like me to get that access, to get those resources and to take them to the next level. But I think those three things you'll start to see slowly but surely unravel within the next, you know, one to five years for sure on a larger scale. Um, And I'm really excited, but I also want to make sure that I do it the right way. I, Mm -hmm. you know, it's, it's easy to kind of get excited about that speed over direction. But what I realized is doing something right is, is so much better than, than doing something rushed. So we're, we're definitely going to make sure we create something that lasts.
1: Well, I'm looking forward to that from you because I do see that you are very intentional and you put out some great quality, which just speaks well for Black women, but then also gives other women who are coming up something to look forward to.
0: Awesome. Thank you so much.
1: You're welcome. So where can our listeners connect with you after this episode airs?
0: they can definitely check me out on my blog over at maddiejames.com slash blog. And then of course, they can follow me everywhere on social media at The Maddie James, T-H-E-M-A-T-T-I-E-J-M-E-S.
1: Great. Maddie, thank you so much for sharing all your knowledge with us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad you made it to the end of today's episode. If you enjoyed the episode, please go on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and write us a review. As always, don't forget to share this episode with your friends, family, colleagues, anyone who cares to listen. We'll talk to you next time.